0: At 306 on the 630 Chat Afternoon News. Jalen Nye, Andrew Gross with you. As we mentioned off the top of the show, uh, more than 100 years after they died in a pivotal battle of the First World War, the remains of three Canadian First World War soldiers have been identified.
1: Private William Del Donegan, Private Henry Edmonds Priddle, and Sergeant Archibald Wilson were from Manitoba. They were members of the 16th Battalion Canadian Expedition Force and they died during the Battle of Hill. 70, their remains were found in 2010. Their families have uh, now been notified. And this afternoon, we're joined by Gavin Wood. His great-uncle was Sergeant Archibald Wilson. Gavin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So tell us what it was like for your family to get this news.
2: Well, we're just like uh, shot out of the blue because uh, we weren't really aware that we had that great-uncle. Mm-hmm. I was um, I was uh, aware that there were boys killed in the First World War that I was related to. I named after Gavin Wilson, Archibald's brother, Brother. But other than that, we
0: knew nothing. Wow. Really? So has this created an interest then for you to know more about your uh, family tree?
2: Oh, for sure. We've been working on that ever since we found out about this and uh, trying to find out... Um, well, one of my cousins is is really into this sort of thing so he's going back to scotland because archibald came from
1: scotland
2: Mm -hmm. to to canada to start a new life and then went back to fight in the war and then didn't come home
1: yeah and two of his brothers john and gavin also enlisted they were killed in uh, belgium and france respectively so how do you get do you get a phone call about this gavin or is it a letter how 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 did you find out well, it was quite a
2: strange thing. I um, my son had a meeting in Calgary, so I went along and to visit some friends. And I knew that they were into an, into genealogy, so I asked them. I said to them, "Hey, I'm related to the Wilsons, but I know nothing about them. Maybe you could find something." So they did about two hours of research there while we had nothing else to do, and uh, she did find out some information. That was back in 2014, and then I forgot all. Totally about it. I didn't, it didn't, didn't, never entered my mind until we got an email from, uh, or my friend in Calgary got an email from the Department of Veterans Affairs saying that they had found some uh, remains, and possibly, based on her research that she'd done two years ago, maybe she was related. Uh, of course, it wasn't it wasn't her family, so she sent it to me, and I contacted them, and the rest is history.
0: Uh, honestly, Gavin, uh, did you think that it might be a scam, or <laughs> you know, I mean, these no. days you get these emails and phone calls. I mean, did you think it was legit from the second you read that email?
2: No, they had uh, they had documentation from uh, from the armed forces. Um, and an introduction letter, and it seemed. Uh, and then I phoned the I phoned the lady that's doing the research, and she su- sounded uh, legit. So no, I never I never doubted it for a minute.
1: So Gavin, um, the woman who was doing the, the research on this, and we're going to talk to the forensic anthropologist coming up after we talk to you. Did they need any information from you, or I don't know? I'm thinking like DNA, like hair samples, mm-hmm. stuff like that, to, to, to confirm who it was.
2: Yes, they needed uh, mtDNA, which is passed down f- from female to female in the family, mm. and of course I'm a son of a son, uh. so I couldn't I couldn't do it. I was willing to donate the sample, but I couldn't. But we found one living um, niece of of Archibald's that was living in Saskatchewan, suffering from from severe dementia. But I knew uh, my my. Uh, cousins living in alberta had power of attorney over her affairs and one of them's an rn so i phoned her and she was delighted absolutely delighted to go and get the dna sample and they sent it in and about 18 months later we uh, had a match
0: wow so a lot of work on both sides so how did they i we can ask this of the doctor when we have her on in just a moment but so did they identify the remains through dog tags i mean how did they know to contact you to get the dna
2: well, it was through the work of uh, one of their researchers that found out that found me kind of like a needle in a haystack It must be a, a an overwhelming task to have to try and find family members a hundred years later but hmm. she found me through through the through the research that my friend did on ancestry. Oh. my friend in Calgary that morning that we spent just only a couple of hours doing research on the Wilson family and somehow they the government has has tentacles that we don't even <laughs> imagine. <laughs> yeah,
0: although um, in this case, good ones, yeah. I guess, yeah. Yeah,
2: that, it was a good one this one, this time, so <laughs> through, through that, just two hours of research that we did, they found out that wow. there was an interest in this group, and they didn't know whether we were the people, but after I started talking to them, and and told them who I was and who I was related to. They said, "Yes, that's the family we're looking for."
1: That's just uh, that's incredible, Gavin. So I, I know that uh, they've announced that um, the three soldiers, including your great uncle, will be buried uh, in August, August 23rd, in a cemetery in France. Um, is there any, uh, you know, plans to attend that funeral? Do you know anything about it?
2: Oh yes. Well, they've um, they've been in contact with us about that and. And they wanted to know our whole family that was related and because the two oldest uh, blood relatives of Archibald that are able to travel, are, they're sponsoring them to come to the funeral. Oh, nice. So that happens to be in my next younger brother. We, we qualify for that. Plus, I have a cousin and his wife are going, plus uh, two other cousins on another branch of the family they're going with their family so there's quite a number of us going
1: wow that's wonderful yeah it sure is is there any talk
0: of i mean were there any medals or anything like that any possessions that should be passed on to any family members
2: i don't think there was anything much left uh, we saw that the, the department of veterans affairs had a picture a photograph of where the bones were found and there was only the blade of a shovel and an old boot uh, there and maybe a couple of buttons off his uniform that's all that uh, as far as I know right now that's all that they found
1: well, Gavin, what a what a wonderful little piece of your family history that gets locked into place after this discovery. Um, thank you for taking the time from Regina this afternoon to give us uh, to to talk to us about this discovery. And I know this is going to sound weird, but I'm going to say enjoy the ceremony. It's going to be solemn, but I think it's you know it's a it's a piece of the puzzle that finally gets put together. And the Canadian War Cemeteries in France um, are spectacular. They are truly, truly a special place. So again, thank you, Gavin.
2: Yes, we're really looking forward to it.
1: Take care now. Yeah, thank you for calling. It's 3:13 on the 6:30 Chet afternoon news.
0: Well, the uh, d and Casualty Identification Program is there to identify unknown soldiers uh, when their remains are found so they can be buried with a name by their regiment and in the presence of their family.
1: The person tasked with making that identification, like the one we just talked about, is Dr. Sarah Lockyer, the department's only forensic anthropologist. She joins us now. Doctor, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me man i I know i'm sure you've been uh fielding a lot of interview requests and doing a (laughs) lot of interviews over the past 24 hours i mean we have so many questions Mm -hmm. these remains um the, the most recent remains found in 2010 when do they come to you like how long have have you been working on this for eight full years Well, for for one
3: of them, um, it it has been about uh, seven years uh, because we were able to confirm the identification of these three individuals in October of last year. Um, But it did take some time for us to be able to track down the families and and get organized so that we could make the public announcement. Um, But typically what happens is when remains are discovered, first, the police have to get involved and determine that they are in fact war dead and not a sort of a modern homicide. And then the, uh, excuse me, the Commonwealth War Grace Commission is contacted, and they will be the ones who take custody of the remains for storage purposes, and then they are the ones who informs the appropriate member nation of the remains that were discovered, and then each individual nation sort of kicks into gear and and, and does what it can in in order to uh, to investigate uh, that that discovery. So for these particular cases, uh, we had been informed. Um, it's typically a couple of months after the discovery's been made that we're informed uh, of such a discovery happening.
0: Do you know? I want I want to ask. So,
1: do do they send you DNA? Yeah,
0: that's what I wanted to ask. It, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Because you, f- yeah, you find you needed uh, something to match the DNA again. So, how do you know who you're looking for?
3: Okay, so the the first step and real, uh, that's really important for us is getting a GPS coordinates or, or longitude and latitude of exactly where the remains were discovered. That information is then passed on to a colleague of mine who is a historian, and he does the history of the area to find out which unit, which battalion, Mm. who was in the area, when and where, and then who died and went missing in that area. Uh, So that's the first step, to find out the list of potential candidates of the soldiers who died but have no known grave. For me, my first step is I travel to where the remains are stored. Now, the vast majority of our cases are actually located in France, so I typically travel to France about twice a year, and I do an anthropological analysis there, because the remains are not repatriated to Canada, and they are buried in the closest appropriate cemetery to where they
0: fell. Let let me stop you there for a second and I want to hear this whole explanation (laughs) but I'm really fascinated by this. My favorite show on TV is Forensic Files so um, at that point do you try and do any kind of further determination of age or ethnicity or anything like that or are you just comparing names that have not been accounted for yet?
3: No uh, when it comes to the anthropological analysis I do a biological profile so what I'm looking for is age, sex, height, ancestry, if it's determinable, if there's any trauma on the bone, if there's any pathology or illness present on the bone, any kind of biological clue that could help us narrow down the list of potential Hmm. candidates. So what's really important for me is age and height, and then when we take the large list of potential candidates of everybody who went missing in the area, I'm then able to eliminate everybody who's too young, too old, too short, or too tall, and then we get a much narrower much more narrow list of potential candidates after the anthropological analysis. And
0: and typically, how many does that leave you with? I mean, in in the case of these three, how many families were you reaching out to to say we possibly have found remains?
3: Um, Anywhere, I think the lowest amount we had was five. Mm. And for one of them, I believe
1: we had about 12. Wow. Okay. That's, that's amazing. It's, I'm, you know, what you do for a living is absolutely amazing. And, and when you, you, you take it right down, you talk about, you know, trauma on the bone, that sort of stuff. It is really incredible what the body leaves behind just with bone. I mean, I think we think you need to have everything intact and, Mm -hmm. and whatnot, but that's not the case, is it, doctor?
3: Not at all. Um, now, the condition in which the remains are found varies, um, and there's a lot of different explanations for that. But um, it has happened in the past where what is present in in the skeletal assemblage, so what part of the skeleton is present is only about twenty five percent. yeah. Um, and then it, it, it's kind of um, it is unfortunate, but when you think about the war and the fact that they were given a temporary burial after they had died, but fighting continued on that ground and then the second world war came after like 20 years later so there was more fighting and more explosions so it's it's not unlikely to think about the fact that yes they were temporarily buried but that burial may, may as well have been um disturbed at some point yeah. very soon afterwards because of the continued fighting
2: huh.
3: so uh, for some individuals where we have 25 percent, sometimes we are able to do something, sometimes we're not. It depends on what's available.
0: In so, the do you also, uh, because we talked to Gavin Wood, and it was his great-uncle Sergeant Archibald Wilson, uh, among those identified. Uh, oh, he ma- Yeah, he mentioned that, uh, you know, there's very little, the picture he saw, very little, a couple of buttons, he said, and it sort of stuck in my mind. Would you use that as a clue, what insignia is on those buttons, to try and confirm and, and again narrow down the list?
3: Absolutely. If, if we get some sort of unit identifier, it, it allows us to, to immediately narrow down the list of potential candidates. And, for example, if we look at, at Private Donegan, he was found with um, a 16th Battalion button, but also a cap badge of the 179th Battalion. So we had known that in the area of Hill 70 that the 16th Battalion was there, and a small number of soldiers had originally enlisted with the 179th, but then transferred to the 16th. So we were then immediately able to focus on that very small number of soldiers right away because of the artifacts that were found with their remains. I,
1: I know this is your job, this is what you do, but it, it, it must give you uh, a real sense of a, a accomplishment when you can close that circle for some of these families and, and make that phone call or take the, write that letter and say, we have found you know your great uncle and this is what's going to happen next.
3: Absolutely. It's, it's quite a privilege uh, to be a part of something like this, and, and um, now I've been with the Directorate of History and Heritage for um, over slightly over 18 months now, and I've been able to make that phone call seven times. Uh, which is is pretty spectacular, and it's pretty incredible.
0: You know, this has to be actually the happiest aspect of forensics that I can think (laughs) of, because because it's so old. It's history, so you're really completing a picture, a puzzle, and as Jay just said, you're bringing good news and closure, and in some cases, probably just information because the family didn't even know, know, right? So you're solving a puzzle every day. I want to rethink my job, uh, my (laughs) career. Uh, (laughs) May uh, may I ask you this as well? I asked um, Gavin, and I don't think he understood the question, but... If there was, if you were to get to the point where you identify who this individual was, do, and, and I know, and, and the family and so on has been notified, do you also look or does someone in your department look to see uh, if there's any medals that should have been awarded to that individual or any honors that would then go to the family?
3: um typically no uh simply because when we're looking at the personnel files like that information is already there and there's some information on medals or any awards already been handed out okay to families so typically that's not something that we do um now we, we have um one case that was found july of last year for example that they were actually found with a metal ribbon um mm. uh, as part of the artifact with the remains so for that, because that's there with the artifact, we might look into it a little bit more, uh, but typically it's not something that we do because it had uh, theoretically following war already been handed out to the proper person who was the next of kin of that soldier at the time.
1: Oh. Dr. Sarah Lockyer joining us this afternoon. She's Casualty Identification Coordinator with the Department of National Defense, the department's only forensic a- anthropologist, uh, joining us to talk about the discovery and the identification of three World War I soldiers. Their remains found in 2010. Uh, the news came out yesterday that uh, they have been identified. They will be buried in August. Um, Dr. Lockyer, do you ever get to go to the funerals?
3: Um, I do, actually. Thankfully, with um, the work that I need to do from France, it's quite uh, flexible as to when I need to go over. So because uh, we had burials last August as well, Mm -hmm. and with the ones coming up, I am able to organize the work that I need to do while I'm over there and, and add on a couple of extra days so that I can attend the burials, answer any of the family's questions regarding the process as well
0: and uh, be able to, to sort of see it come full circle. Wow. I, I have incredible, to ask... Incredible privilege. Yeah, it, yeah, it really is. I, I pride myself, doctor, on asking uh, dumb questions from time to time. Um, <laughs> there but are if, no such things. All right. So if we know that there's a lot of remains in a specific area like this one, uh, and I'm assuming that these remains uh, you know, were found through construction or just through agriculture, they got churned Correct. up or whatever... Um, is there ever the idea proposed that well, let's just dig it all up and see what we have?
3: That uh, question does come forward and, and does is asked uh, from time to time. Now, what's important to remember is also is that to do things like that, archaeology is very regulated in each country. Right? Mm. So we, we would have to go through that. But at the end of the day, we don't have any clear, the irrefutable evidence of exactly where these soldiers are so we would have to dig a huge amount of land on a huge amount of area and when you think about for Canada and the First World War we have 20,000 soldiers who have no known graves yeah. but for Britain for example that number multiplies exponentially mm. so and the French as well so no matter where you're digging in France you will find something so then, it's, it's almost as if, well, if we're digging and we're finding something, we may never actually be able to find what we're actually looking for, which would be the remains of Canadian soldiers. Mm, yeah. So, okay, in the grand scheme of things, um, it's like I would very much love to be able to do that, but we don't have enough information to really pinpoint where to even begin.
1: You know what, Sarah, we're we're out of time, and I could talk to you probably for the as next well. hour. But I'm curious. <laughs> before we go, was this where you wanted to do your work in forensic anthropology? Um, well, or did you land, I, fall into this area? When I was
3: studying, the goal was always to work in the field. So now, wherever in the field that I could get work, it, it, it didn't matter to me at the time. Um, but now being able to, 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 having found this job and being able to do this and, and finding out what it means to the families, to other Canadians, to um, my colleagues who are part of the military and part of the armed forces, it's, it's quite a spectacular thing to be a part of, and, and I'm in, in ter- internally grateful to be able to do this job.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Dr. Lockyer, you have the definition of a really cool, cool job. job. Yeah,
3: I think so, too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you for taking the time uh, to, to join us this afternoon, and thanks for the work you do. It's really important. Oh, well, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. There you go. Dr. Sarah Locke, are joining us this afternoon. The only forensic anthropologist with the Department of National Defense's Casualty identif- Identification Department. What Amazing, an interesting eh?
0: conversation. Fascinating. Yep. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with
1: J. Lynn Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.